0: Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judah beyond the Jordan. The large crowd uh, And a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made um, made them male and female, and, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, the, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one... Wh- why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, allows you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whomever divorces his wife except for sexual immortality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case, of a man with his wife, it is not better; um, it is not to marry. But he said to them, "Not everyone can receive these sayings, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the w- let the one who is able to receive it receive this."
1: Well, friends, as if my earlier comments about abortion weren't enough today, let's step into the heart of another controversy. After a period of jumping around during the Advent and Christmas season, today we return to our chapter-by-chapter study through Matthew's Gospel, and it brings us right back here into the heart of another controversy, and this passage, friends, is going to be at least a two-week study, because the controversy then... Was around the issue of divorce, which, friends, is still a controversial issue today and really what we're going to talk about next week. But in our culture today, the most controversial part of the passage might actually just be verse 4. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? What is a man? What is a woman? Is humanity a binary? Is it a spectrum? Is male and female an issue of biology? Or is it just a social construct? Is being a woman something that you feel? Or is it something that you are? And friends, these questions have gotten a lot of discussion in our culture, but far fewer answers. You know, famously or infamously, depending upon your position, Commentator Matt Walsh exposed the utter inability of some academics and psychologists and gender theorists and average people to be able to answer what seems like a fundamentally simple question, what is a woman? Because friends, words must have meanings. Words need to have meanings. Economist and philosopher Thomas Sowell said, if a word means everything, then it means nothing. The category of woman needs to have a definition. Boundaries that define who is and who is not a woman. Otherwise, the word woman is utterly meaningless because everyone's a woman. And if everyone's a woman, then no one's really a woman. Friends, words have to have meanings. So let's begin by agreeing that a word like woman at least means something. There have to be some kind of boundaries around the category of woman to determine who is a woman and who is not a woman, as opposed to the category of man. So the question then that's before us is, how are those boundaries determined? Friends, answering this question brings us to a question of authority. Who or what is authoritative in answering the question, what is a woman? Or are you a woman? And for the sake of simplicity this morning, let's agree that there are two general categories of authority to which we might appeal. An internal authority or an external authority. In determining if I am a man or a woman, is the authoritative factor internal my psychology, how I feel, or is the authoritative factor external my biology, who I am? Now, in considering Which one would be authoritative? Let's consider some other cases. If I feel or sincerely believe inside that I can fly, and so I jump off the steeple, I'm quickly going to discover that I am subject to an external authority, gravity, that contradicts my internal feelings, no matter how sincere and genuine and real to me, are the feelings. Or if my truth is that I can breathe underwater, I'm quickly going to discover that there's an external factor that remains authoritative over me. I was designed to breathe air, not water. So let's just agree that whether we like it or not, there are at least some external realities that exist that we can't change no matter how we feel and no matter what we desire. So there are at least some cases in this world Where things are a certain way, where we are a certain way, and if we deny that design, it's going to lead to our own harm. In other words, how I feel can't always change how I am designed. My internal desires or beliefs can't make me fly, and they can't make me breathe underwater, because my subjective feelings can't make something objectively true. So then what about biology? Is our biology authoritative in determining whether I'm a male or a female, a man or a woman? Now, biologically, friends, every cell of a woman is stamped with XX chromosomes and every cell of a man is stamped with XY chromosomes. Men and women possess 6,500 gene differences which biologically manifest themselves in obvious ways. Reproductive organs, body mass, muscle and fat distribution, hair growth, and so much more. And as an aside, some today are making an argument that the existence of those with an intersex condition proves, well, actually, sex is not a binary. It's a spectrum because there are some that have an intersex condition. Now, the intersex condition used to be called hermaphroditism, and it's an extremely rare condition of apparently being neither male nor female, born with either indistinct genitalia or some kind of chromosomal anomalies. And such a condition, when it's defined at its absolute most broadest, at very most, might touch 1.7% of the world population. But practically, we're talking about far, far fewer. Fewer. So, Friends, logically, the existence of an exception does not invalidate a rule. Just because there might be an exception, it doesn't invalidate a rule. In fact, the the very fact that we recognize something's abnormal with an intersex condition reinforces uh, the idea that there is a normal. And the normal is the binary. Male and female. The fact is, friends, biologically, the reproductive systems of human beings are designed to only produce one of two different gametes or reproductive cells, either a sperm or an egg. Intersex conditions are not a new category of humanity. Intersex conditions have non-functional, usually non-functional reproductive systems. Friends, biologically, there's no other type of gamete produced and no other functional biological of, arrangement of human reproduction. So persons with an intersex condition don't represent the existence of a new category of biological sex. They simply reinforce the truth that male and female seem to be a binary and not a spectrum. So then, is our status as male or female, man or woman, determined by the authority of our biology? And friends, there are many today that are arguing no. They're saying they're, they're trying to separate biological sex from gender. They're saying biological sex is one thing, but gender is another thing. It's the psychological, social, and cultural aspect of being male or female. Friends, understand that separating biology from gender is a very, very new and unproven idea. Did you know that the word transgender didn't come into existence until 1974? That was about 50 years ago. In fact, it wasn't until 1963, about 60 years ago, that gender came to refer to anything other than biological sex. So consider that around the world and across time and culture, gender has almost always been synonymous with biological sex. One author quipped how quickly we've gone from gender and biological sex as synonyms for one another to having 72 genders or more. This is a new idea. It's a new idea in all of human history and all of human culture. In fact, the idea that somehow gender can be divorced from biology finds its roots in the work of psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud. And friends, it was Sigmund Freud who only about 120 years ago gave us the idea of sexual orientation, that you are actually somehow determined by the object of your sexual desires. Friends, this idea that who we are is somehow determined by or rooted in our internal desires was not found in history before Sigmund Freud. Rather, Sigmund Freud, who was influenced by the German Romantic movement, which embraced and promoted the idea that your personal experience is the only way to know truth, in the words of one author, for the first time in history of the world personal feelings were now believed to be the fount of truth. Romanticism introduced the idea of my personal truth. And with this concept, we lost all standards by which to measure objective truth. Now, friends, I'm not giving you here a biology or history lesson because I expect you remember all the names and the dates or the philosophical ideas. I'm simply laying this all out because I want you to understand one key point. And that is that the ideas that are uncritically being accepted and promoted today, the belief that my feelings can determine reality, the belief that I have an orientation and am somehow defined by my sexual desires, the belief that there's a difference between biological sex and gender, all of these are brand new ideas birthed within the last 120 years, which is a relatively short period of time when you consider the whole of human history. These are new and, friends, I would argue, unproven ideas. Author C.S. Lewis famously warned us against the uncritical embrace of new books or new ideas. He wrote, a new book or a new idea is still on trial. It has to be tested against the great body of thought down the ages, and all of its hidden implications need to be brought to light. All of its hidden implications, all of the hidden implications of a new idea need to be brought to light. Friends, these new ideas that are being promoted and circulated in our culture, they have hidden implications that we need to bring to light and consider. Because today's belief that the authority is someone's internal feeling or desire and that somehow trumps external reality like biology... Friends, you need to understand this has dangerous and damaging implications. For example, friends, if eternal feel, internal, internal feelings can tell you authoritatively who you are and what you should do, then what do we say to the pro-ana community? Pro-ana is short for pro-anorexia. The Mayo Clinic defines anorexia as an eating disorder characterized by an abnormally low body weight with an intense fear of gaining weight and a distorted perception of weight. And friends, those with anorexia sincerely feel their bodies are wrong. They sincerely desire their bodies to be different from what they are. And they usually do so by starvation, inadequate nutrition, diet pills, or other extreme measures. And it results in malnutrition, health problems, and even death. And friends, the pro ana community advocates anorexia as a legitimate lifestyle. It's a personal truth. It's a lived experience. And these people should be respected by society. And friends, if your internal personal feelings and desires are the authoritative thing determining who you are and what you should be, on what grounds can we disagree with them? Friends, if it's okay to take chemical hormones and have your genitals surgically removed to conform your body to your authoritative inner truth, why should we oppose less radical measures such as induced vomiting or diet pills? Or consider that in 2015, Amber Jewel Shooping made international headlines after she chose to make herself blind with drain cleaner. Amber said, by the time that she was six, she remembers thinking about being blind and that made her comfortable. And as a child, she would spend hours staring at the sun because her mother told her it would damage her eyes. And when she was a teenager, she started wearing thick black glasses and she got her first white cane when she was aged 18 and became fully fluent in Braille by the age of 20. Amber says, I was blind simming which is pretending to be blind and then and then friends in her early 20s amber found a sympathetic psychologist who helped her realize her lifelong dream of becoming blind by putting drain cleaner in her eyes and friends it's internal Feelings and desires are authoritative in telling us who we are, and if we should live our truth, why shouldn't we support and celebrate this young woman finally becoming her true and authentic self? On what grounds? Friends, if biology has no authority, but your internal feelings are authoritative, then what do you do with persons like X, Double double ACP leader Rachel Dolans, who was outed as white, yet claimed she was definitely not white and she identifies as black. So, despite the fact that she is biologically and genetically Caucasian, she feels African American. And, friends, if transgender identities are valid, then are transracial identities invalid? I mean, despite my genetics, if I feel that I am, can't I identify as Native American and take advantage of the benefits given to the Penobscot nation? Does that question make you bristle? Because it should. Friends, I mention these simply to highlight some of the hidden implications of these new and unproven ideas that are being circulated in our culture and uncritically accepted and believed. And all of this, at very least, should give us pause to examine the validity of these new ideas that so many people are uncritically uncritically accepting and promoting. Can our internal feelings create or change external reality? Again, if I sincerely believe or genuinely desire to fly or breathe underwater and thus try to, it's only going to cause me harm because, friends, denying reality always causes damage. Because no matter how well-intentioned, lies can only ever destroy. No matter how well-intentioned they are, lies can only ever destroy. And friends, I have watched the transgender lie destroy children, destroy bodies, destroy futures, destroy families, destroy lives. Six months ago, a good friend who I've known for over 20 years and who disagrees with me on this issue sent me this book to read. It's called Becoming Nicole, The Transformation of an American Family. And it chronicles the story of twin boys who lived right here in Maine, And one of the boys believed himself to be a girl and it chronicles his journey and the journey of his family as he transitioned to become Nicole. And friends, I read this book and the story absolutely broke my heart. And it mainly broke my heart because it failed to offer any compelling evidence that this young man, Wyatt, that his transition to Nicole, it failed to offer any evidence that it actually brought him peace. Because when you get to the end of the book, you have Wyatt going now by the name of Nicole. And friends, this is what he says. I've been having realizations that surgery isn't going to be the magic fix to everything like I thought. I think I already knew that, but it's still a hard feeling to accept. I've always been afraid of dating, but with the way my body is now. But but it's going to be scary because of the way my body used to be. I'm still going to be unable to have a child which is something that's always intensely bothered me. Even if I change my body and even if I look if even if I look like I was born a natural woman there's always going to be that reminder that I wasn't. And I think that that's something I'll always have bad blood with. A hard feeling to accept, still scary, intensely bothered, always reminded, hard to accept, always have bad blood. Friends, none of those are statements of peace. Does he have peace now? Has Wyatt's chemical and surgical transition brought him peace? Has it healed his wounds? The journalist who who wrote this book says just a couple pages later, Nicole's transition was now complete. She would still need to take female hormones the rest of her life. And she would never be able to have her own children, but she knew she wanted to marry a man someday and adopt. Her transition was complete. Friends, how is her transition complete? He has to take hormones the rest of his life. He still cannot bear children. He has a non-functional reproductive system. He has non-functional breasts. He does not menstruate. He still has XY chromosomes in every one of his 30 to 40 trillion cells. He still possesses the 6,500 gene differences that exist between men and women, not to mention the physical differences. In what way is his transition complete? He might look more like a woman, but is he really a woman now? Is his transition complete? Friends, what's the difference between appearing as a woman and being a woman? I mean, if, if Nicole stops taking hormones, will he remain a woman? If Nicole doesn't care for his bottom surgery and the surgically constructed opening heals and closes up as his body wants it to do, will he still be a woman? Have hormones and surgery actually made Wyatt into a woman? Or if they merely made him into a lifelong drug addict... And left him with sex organs that no longer function properly, either for reproduction or for pleasure. Is his transition truly complete? Friends, the transgender movement promises so much and it delivers so little. There never has been and there never will be performed a successful sex change surgery. Such a transition can never be complete because you cannot change the truth. You can only suppress it. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress suppress the truth. Friends, he says our unrighteousness and our rebellion can't change the truth. It can only suppress it. The truth must be suppressed. It's being suppressed by hormones and by surgery and by makeup and by clothing and by hairstyles and by pronouns and the like. But the truth can't be changed. Why it is, and he always will be, a male. And friends, just like trying to hold a beach ball down underwater, You have to continually suppress the truth. It's a lifelong effort. And that beach ball wants to pop out of the water. It's a lifetime of hormones to suppress the truth. A lifetime of suppressing what his body naturally wants to do. And if Wyatt stops doing, the truth is going to surface. Because you can't change the truth. You can only suppress it. Friends, living as a woman is a lifetime charade. Or as psychologist Amy Sousa describes it, it's mimicry. Mimicry must always do. It can never be. A mimic needs to always be doing in order to continue its mimicry. A genuine woman doesn't have to do anything to be a woman. She just is. But transgenderism is sexual mimicry. It's a lifelong doing because transition will never be complete. Friends, people are being lied to. Why it was lied to. Bodies are being mutilated. Lives are being destroyed. And I lament those who have become lifelong victims of big pharma. I weep for the irreversible damage done to the victims of for-profit medicine. The award-winning author Abigail Schreier wrote an amazing book. It's terrifying, actually. It's called Irreversible Damage. The Transgender Crisis Seducing Our Daughters. And she lays out clearly and unquestionably that, friends, there are children today who are not old enough to get their ears pierced, who could not legally get a tattoo, who cannot legally buy cigarettes, but who are being given hormones and surgery that will cause irreversible damage to their bodies and render them permanently infertile. Frankly, these children can't get their ears pierced, but they can get their breath cut off. How does that make sense? How's that right? And the harm that we're doing to our children is garnering more and more attention. On July 28th of last year, -year 19-year-old detransitioner Chloe Cole gave testimony before the U.S. Congress pleading with them to please stop gender surgeries on children like what was done to her. This is part of her testimony. She said, my name is Chloe Cole, and I'm a detransitioner. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe I was born in the wrong body, and the adults in my life whom I trusted affirmed my belief, and this caused me lifelong irreversible harm. I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. I speak to you in the hope that you will have the courage to bring the scandal to an end and ensure that other vulnerable teenagers, children, and young adults don't go through what I went through. And she went on before Congress to recount her experience, beginning with expressing discomfort during puberty at the age of 12, receiving hormones at the age of 13, a double mastectomy at the age of 15. And by the age of 16, Chloe says she regretted her decision and was suicidal because she realized she would never actually be a boy. And Chloe Cole is not alone. She is one of tens of thousands of victims. Because friends, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And this generation is falling victim to the bad ideas being propagated by the false promises and lies of the transgender movement. And friends, I ask you to note that as of this point in the sermon, I have not imposed my religion on you or anyone else. Do you notice I'm not bashing anyone over the head with the Bible? All of my arguments so far have been historical, biological, logical, and anthropological because, friends, the worldview that undergirds the transgender philosophy is a house of cards. And it is so easily toppled. It does not stand up to scrutiny. And as such, you will notice that any time someone questions it, the questions are never met with an honest discussion or debate. Simply, they are loudly and violently silenced. For example, retail giant Amazon. Amazon Amazon.com bans very, very, very few books from being sold on its site. And I happen to have in my possession one of them. You can't buy this on Amazon.com. It was there from its publication in 2018 until suddenly in 2021 without any warning or explanation, they simply removed this book by Catholic scholar and head of the ethics and public policy center, Ryan Anderson. The book is titled, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. And this book dared to question the worldview that's being promoted. It offers statistics, research, arguments, and evidence that exposes the moral and philosophical bankruptcy of the transgender movement. But rather than allowing an honest debate or to answer the arguments. Instead, any dissent from the accepted narrative has to be forcefully silenced because they know they live in a house of cards. And in the same way, friends, I know that some people will simply label me as a bigot and a transphobe. They'll label this whole sermon as hate speech. And I know that in preaching this sermon, I risk being canceled and condemned. However, to those who disagree with me, I simply ask, don't just silence the questions. Don't just write off the arguments. Consider them. Answer them. Rebut them. Please show me where I'm wrong. I read this book because my friend thinks I'm wrong. And I said, I will listen. And I will. I'll consider them. But friends, can your worldview withstand scrutiny? Or are you building your worldview on a foundation of shifting? and unstable sand. Because I believe the Bible offers us a better and a more hopeful anthropology, anthropology than is offered by these cultural philosophies. Friends, the anthropology of the Bible is what we read earlier in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Jesus answered, Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Now, Jesus is quoting the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Friends, from the very beginning, the Bible teaches that God purposefully designed and created humanity as a binary. Male and female, man and woman. And this was amazing in that time. You need to understand that all of the other Near Eastern creation myths either ignored women or just treated them as defective men. But the Bible alone dignifies women by saying that they were created in the image of God and here's how they were created. The Bible alone gives an account of the creation of women and then declares that they are equally Created in the image of God. And friends, so we find that our maleness and femaleness, according to the Bible, whatever it is, we find it's from the beginning, it's part of the design, and it's binary. It's male and female. And friends, after Genesis chapter 1, which is kind of a wide-angle shot, It zooms in in Genesis chapter 2 in the creation of humanity and we read in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So humanity, friends, is formed from the dust of the ground. We are the stuff and the material of earth, yet we are the material and the immaterial breathed into by the breath of God. We are embodied creatures And humanity is a duality. A duality meaning having a dual state or quality. For example, friends, I've used this before, light. Light is both a wave and a particle at the same time. Light is not two separate parts, a wave and a particle. Light is a wave and a particle at the same time. And in the same way, the human being is not two separate parts, body and soul. The human being is a duality, body and soul. Material and immaterial, together, inseparable. In other words, friends, you can't separate the ghost from the machine. The ghost is not just in the machine. The ghost is somehow the machine. And we know this because, friends, if your physical body is damaged, like through a brain injury or a chemical imbalance, then the entire person is affected. His his personality, his emotions, his memories, they can be radically changed by damaging the machine. So it appears that if I damage the machine, I somehow damage the ghost in the machine. And that could only be if we are a duality, body and soul, material and immaterial, together. We are not just spiritual creatures having a physical experience. As I've said before, Jedi Master Yoda was wrong when he said, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. We are this matter. Body and soul, material and immaterial, are not independent of one another. Man and woman, male and female, are embodied creatures. And as such, Scripture tells us, it's impossible to be a woman trapped in a man's body. Because we are embodied so whatever gender is, it is not less than our biology. Friends, gender may be more than biology, but gender is definitely not less than biology because we are embodied creatures. So the Bible teaches us that whatever our maleness and femaleness is, it was from the beginning, it's binary, and it's intrinsic to our biology. Beginning binary biology And finally, the Bible teaches there is a beauty. Friends, there is a beauty to maleness and femaleness. And next week when we continue our study of Matthew 19, we are going to see the beautiful purpose in maleness and femaleness. That from the beginning, God created the binary, wove it into our biology for a beautiful purpose. But you have to come back next week to hear that. However, for this week, I want to close, friends, for a word of, with a word of hope. I want to close with a word of hope for those who struggle with these issues or those who have loved ones who struggle with these issues. Friends, dysphoria means unease or dissatisfaction. And actual gender dysphoria is a clinical diagnosis that affects less than 0.1% or fewer than one in 10,000 people. However, young people today might struggle with gender anxiety or confusion, 85% of which desists or simply resolves itself by puberty. In fact, Abigail Schreier documents in her book, Irreversible Damage, that the vast majority of what we are now seeing today is rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's not a clinical diagnosis. It's a social contagion related to social media and the influence of peer groups. So friends, for anyone who might struggle at some time or some way with discomfort or dysphoria with themselves, their bodies, their sexuality, friends, the answer is not transgender. The answer is transformation. The transgender movement says you need to change your body. The Gospel says you need a transformation of self. The transgender movement says that peace will be found through surgery. The Gospel says peace is found in a Savior. The transgender movement says hope will be found by changing the outside. The Gospel says there is hope as you're transformed from the inside out. Friends, the antidote to gender dysphoria is not gender euphoria. The antidote to gender discomfort is not gender happiness because I promise you, you will never find perfect bliss and peace in your gender. That's not where perfect peace is found. The antidote is transformation, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come." Friends, our hope is transformation. The hope for every one of us is transformation. Transformation that goes deep and changes us in ways a scalpel never could. Transformation that changes us in ways that chemi- chemicals simply cannot. Transformation that heals us in ways that lies never will. Friends, if you or your loved ones struggle today, know that there's hope. And that hope is in the transformative power of Jesus Christ. Do you know that hope today? Would you like to? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. And help us. Help us to stand. Help us to speak. And most of all, help us to love a world so lost, broken, confused, hurting, being destroyed, torn apart by lies. Oh God, oh God, save them. Oh God, use us. May your truth be known. May the healing power of the gospel be seen. And experienced. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In closing, please stand and join us in.